everyone. Welcome back to The Word is Resistance. This is Nicola Torbett coming to you from occupied Ohlone territory, the part now known as Oakland, California. This is the podcast where we explore the weekly Christian scripture readings to see what they might have to say to those of us who are throwing down in liberation movements around the country. The Word is Resistance is a project of showing up for racial justice, or SURGE, and specifically of surge faith. Showing up for racial justice organizes white people into the work of dismantling white supremacy. We are white people challenging and supporting other white people to show up in the struggle against racism and other forms of oppression. We welcome all listeners and especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. I'm coming to my work on this podcast today straight off a movement security shift. As you might have heard, two homeless mothers just took up residence illegally in an investor-owned home in West Oakland, a three-bedroom house that has sat empty while the investors wait for the market to peak, all while people shiver in tents on the sidewalk around the corner, unable to afford rent in the city. These mothers did what they did because they and their kids needed housing, but they did it publicly because they wanted to make a statement. They wanted to draw attention to the real problem, not poor people and not even a shortage of housing, but a housing market that continually prioritizes profit over people. In Oakland, there are nearly four vacant units of housing for every one houseless person in the city. Nationally, that statistic is six to one. So on moving day, these moms held a press conference. Then they invited the whole community to a housewarming party that doubled as an organizing rally. They launched a website, and they were very open and very public about the address of the house, intentionally. Needless to say, this is really risky. We don't know what's going to happen. It seems likely that a representative from the investment company will show up at some point, or the police, or maybe the sheriff. Hate-driven vigilante violence is also on our minds as mainstream media picks up the story. It seems likely that something will happen at some point. So we're doing round-the-clock movement security at the house. I don't know if this is the case where you live, but in Oakland, movement security is one of the ways that white folks are being asked to leverage our privilege in the service of black and brown-led struggles. It's also a great opportunity for us to learn de-escalation, practice holding firm boundaries, and develop rigorous discipline as we follow black and brown leadership. Finally, it's an opportunity to get deep down in our bones the sure knowledge that the police are not our friends. Doing this kind of security demonstrates that as soon as we step out of line with white supremacist heteropatriarchal capitalism, the police will not have our backs. Not at mom's house, and not anywhere that we are doing this kind of work. And so we desperately need to develop alternatives to relying on them. So that's what I was doing for four hours this morning. It was no problem at first. My eyes were peeled as I peered out the windows. I tracked every car that passed. I searched for the source of every footstep or cracking branch, and I did a sweep of the whole house every 15 minutes. But after an hour of nothing happening, it started to get a lot harder. My feet hurt from standing and I couldn't see as well if I sat down. 
It was cold in front of that window. My caffeine buzz was wearing off, and I didn't want to grind more coffee while people were still sleeping. The longer we went with nothing much happening, the harder it got to stay alert. When my replacement showed up, I nearly bowled him over with my enthusiastic greeting. So now, sitting here working on the podcast for the first week of Advent, I find myself chuckling with recognition at Jesus' admonition to keep awake, because we know neither the day nor the hour. We really don't. Of course, that is always true, right? We never know what's coming around the bend until it's here. We don't know when the dangerous thing is going to happen. We don't know when catastrophe or tragedy will befall us or our family or our friends. We also don't know, though, when the breakthrough will come, when the work will pay off, when the kingdom or kinship of God will finally arrive in all its glory. And so we watch and wait. We work. We prepare the way. We lay the foundation for a new world. Before we jump into the scripture for this week, it might be helpful to give a little context. The teaching in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44, which is our text for this week, follows on a long speech by Jesus. It's a fiery takedown of the powerful delivered at the temple. I'm talking about the woe to you, scribes and Pharisees speech, in which this upstart, non-ordained, tradition-busting, unkempt, itinerant healer and teacher calls out the complicity of religious authorities in the oppression of their own people. In more contemporary terms, this is like, for example, Martin Luther King Jr.'s impassioned letter from Birmingham jail, in which he calls out white moderates, today we might even say white liberals, for choosing law and order over black people fighting for their freedom. King wrote, First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. In a video posted in the early hours of this past Saturday, movement activist Turha Ak said almost exactly the same thing, calling out white people in Oakland who claim to be pro-black and yet will not actually stand with black people who are taking bold steps toward collective liberation. 
like the scribes and Pharisees, our default allegiance, despite our professions to the contrary, is to whatever it is that we believe keeps us safe. I'm going to say that again. Our default allegiance as human beings is to the forces that we believe deep down are keeping us safe. For the scribes and Pharisees, that was cooperation with Rome. For white people, it's cooperation with white supremacy. And specifically, systems like policing, militarism, and the prison industrial complex. That is our default allegiance, because it works for us. It works for us so long as we work for it. This is why worship is subversive. Because when we worship, we remember, at least for a few minutes, that our help, the only safety and security we will ever truly know, comes from God, however we understand God. And we can have a conversation about just how we understand this God. But if we claim the Gospels, then we know that God is located not in the military, in policing, in the prison systems, but on the cross. We just read last week a portion of the crucifixion story for the ironically named Christ the King Sunday, or Reign of Christ Sunday, as it is sometimes called. And the crucifixion narrative reminds us that God is located not in the halls of power, but on the cross, surrounded by criminalized people. God is in the prisons and jails, in the homeless encampments, in detention centers, in refugee camps along the southern border. God is in the house illegally claimed last week by Moms for Housing. That is where our help lies. Our help lies on the margins. Making common cause with the people who are under the gun, outside the gates, beyond the circumference of human care, that is our safety and security for real. So anyway, Jesus gives this woe to you speech. And needless to say, that does not endear him to the powers. As he's walking away, his disciples start pointing out to him how magnificent the temple is. Why are they doing this? It's not really clear. Are they completely tone deaf to the movement moment they are in? Have they just slipped absentmindedly into sightseer mode? Or are they trying to remind Jesus that the temple, after all, is the very center of their religious practice? Are they trying maybe to call Jesus in, remind him of where he is and what they thought this movement was about? It's not clear. But Jesus responds by saying, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. It's hard for us to understand how shocking those words would have been for the disciples. Remember that it was central to Jewish belief at the time that God, God's own self, resided in the Holy of Holies in the center of the temple. Jesus is saying that the place where they believed their help resided was going to be destroyed. The idea that the temple might be destroyed would have been utterly terrifying and also infuriating. Maybe you've noticed there's a similar terror and fury that arises when we talk about abolition, of police, of prisons, of borders. There is a similar quasi-religious shock when we talk about that. 
We are calling into question the things that people believe are the sources of their safety. What do you mean not one prison wall will remain? That there will be no more police? What do you mean national borders will be erased? These things are unthinkable. It would have been unthinkable to the disciples and the contemporaries of Jesus that the temple might again be destroyed as it had been before. It had just recently been remodeled and expanded under the Roman-sanctioned reign of Herod the Great, who greatly expanded the exterior plaza known as the Court of the Gentiles. Might give you a sense of who Herod was actually serving Rome and reinforced the structure with thick retaining walls. At the time Jesus reportedly spoke these words, it was unthinkable that it would be destroyed. And yet by the time Matthew is writing down these words, sometime after 70 AD, it has already happened. In a final climactic battle in the most recent of a series of uprisings against Roman colonial rule, the Romans set fire to much of Jerusalem, including finally the temple itself. And as the temple burned, Roman soldiers ransacked the structure, tearing the stones apart to seize the gold from within them. It was catastrophic, a horrifying act of colonial domination. Colonial powers love to tear down and desecrate religious sites of the people they are dominating. Scholars believe that Matthew is writing shortly after this shattering event and that he's trying to help his Jesus-following Jewish community make sense of it and figure out how to go on. Right after Jesus announces that not one stone will remain on stone, he prophesies that the destruction of the temple will be just one of a series of terrifying events, wars and rumors of wars, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and this will be just the beginning of the birth pains that signal the second coming of the Son of Man with power and great glory. Gosh, Jesus, intense at all? I mean, dude. And this is the stuff we read as we enter into Advent, the season of waiting for love to be born among us again. This waiting It is simultaneously the waiting for the birth of the baby Jesus, or its commemoration in Christmas, and also the waiting for the final coming, the final coming of love and justice in the world, a moment that will be both joyful and terrifying at once. Joyful because integrity will be restored to all creation. Terrifying because along with that comes the final judgment, the moment when the truth is revealed about how we have violated that integrity. This unveiling happens necessarily then in the midst of great turmoil. You might have heard Adrienne Marie Brown refer to this time that way. She says, things are not getting worse. They are getting uncovered. We must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. These are apocalyptic times. They are tumultuous and much is being revealed. We must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. So all of that is just the background for today's text, but it felt necessary for you to know some of that in order to enter into this week's passage. Here, finally, is Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. 
But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Okay, so something's coming something that we need to be ready for. That much is clear from this passage. On one level, I think this is all too obvious for those of us involved in movement struggles, especially in these days. We know that terror is around the corner. There is always, as the poet Lee Young Lee wrote, a family waiting in terror before they are rendered. Trump is always about to sign another executive order consigning some group of people to some terrible fate. The police are always on the way. The pipeline is always about to go through. And then when it does, it is always about to leak. The seas are certain to rise again as they did in the days of Noah. So yes, be aware of the dangers that loom. I think Jesus is calling us to be aware of the coming flood, yes. Take note of the storm clouds gathering, take heed when the winds pick up and the leaves on the trees flip over to reveal their undersides. A storm is coming, and we better get ready. But also, and this is crucial, it feels so crucial to me this year, notice that someone's been building an ark. Maybe it's been you, you and those you organize with. Maybe you all have been gathering wood, while that other organization over there has been forging a frame. And maybe there's that other organization, that one whose art build you attended that one time but then lost track of, and it turns out they've been gathering people up, fitting them with life jackets, or stockpiling food and water. And maybe none of you all knew each other except in passing, but suddenly the storm clouds are gathering and the winds are rising, and here you all are, somehow, impossibly, nearly ready to set sail, together. <clears throat> Jesus says, For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And I always read all of that as a bad thing, this eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, as if these people were clueless. But this week I'm reading it differently, Maybe what this means is that the people were doing the unglamorous work of building relationship. They were eating and drinking together. They were showing up with casseroles when someone had surgery and when someone had died. They were attending each other's weddings and baby showers. They were giving each other rides to the airport, delivering masks to people who needed them on the days when the air quality was poor. And then one day, when the waters began to rise... 
they realized that they had built something that was seaworthy. Reading this text for the first week of Advent this year, I think part of what it means to keep awake is to tend to our relationships, to show up for each other day to day, to learn and practice skills for generative conflict, to find and articulate and hold our boundaries, to have the hard conversations about power, about goals, about strategy, to fight those things out in private and then in public to have each other's backs in front of the cameras and microphones and on social media. All Genesis mythology aside, no one builds an ark alone. We need to know each other and work to become trustworthy to and for each other as well as ourselves across all those race and class and gender and faith lines. The action I started off with today, the Moms for Housing action that I'd been doing security for, was actually one of a whole bunch of actions that took place in the East Bay between November 17th and 25th. We dubbed it Housing Justice Week. It was called by ACE Action, but joined by at least a dozen other housing justice organizations, brought together by our shared sense that we are in a hashtag state of emergency, and that it is time to get out of our silos and start collaborating. Advocates alongside directly impacted people Our people are being washed out of Oakland by the flood of new tech money and luxury development, and it is time to be about that arc. This week has been an amazing, exhausting, heartbreaking, heart-opening, exhilarating week. And I have been in tears more times than I can count, as time and again I have found myself standing in a circle with people I mostly recognize, some I know well, and others I've just seen in the streets, and witnessing how we are showing up for each other. Now, I don't want to romanticize this, as I'm sure you can imagine. There is history between these groups that are trying to organize together now. Some of the leaders have had fallings out in the past. There have been romantic relationships gone awry. Harm has been done, and trauma lingers. We don't all agree on the goals, much less on strategy and tactics. And yet, this week, we have all been showing up for each other's actions in whatever ways we can, because the moment demands it. Keep awake. Know what time it is. Two nights ago, 22 of our folks were arrested for camping in tents in front of City Hall, bringing the crisis of houselessness right to the foot of power. The police arrived shortly after midnight, in force, and by all reports, it was brutal. Despite protocols that stipulate that nonviolent protesters should be cited and released, they instead loaded people up and took them to a jail in a remote part of the county, far from the city where their support was. Nevertheless, we have seen folks mobilize in large numbers to raise and post bail, to greet people outside the jail, give rides, and now, starting today, to do court support for arraignments, in many cases for people they do not know, have never even met. This is the world I want to live in. This is the kind of care I want for you and for me and for every single person alive. Last week, after one of the actions, we were standing in a circle for a quick debrief, as we often do, 
It was one of those weeping moments for me, looking around at those beloved faces and seeing how shared risk brings us closer together. Many of us actually were in tears. And then one of the participants said when it was his turn to speak, I know that we are going to win. I don't know how. I don't know how I know it, but I do. I don't know when the big change will get here. Is it six weeks from now? Six months? 60 years? 600? I don't know, but I know it's coming. And when it does, we will look back and see that it started today. And I thought to myself, the word of God for the people of God. This past week, I could see how the years of praying and relationship building and cross-movement networking and skill sharing and crying out to God on the part of those suffering, how all of that has made this week possible. How all this time, without knowing it, we've been building an ark. The storm is coming. In many communities, especially communities of color and poor communities, the storm is already raging. But what is also true, and what I want to emphasize to you today in this first week of Advent, is that generations and generations of people have been building an ark. And eventually, the hard work of patient, heartful movement building will pay off. We don't know when, we don't know either the day or the hour, but one of these days, that moment will be upon us. And all the hard work you are doing day after day meeting after meeting, tiny ill-attended action after tiny ill-attended action, it is all going to be worth it. That's a promise. Amen. This is the part of the podcast where we usually call you to action. I'm going to put links to the Moms for Housing website in the transcript, and I'll also list some other organizations doing housing justice work. Right to the City is one that is working nationally and would be great to support. But beyond that, this Advent time, or more accurately, this run-up to Christmas, can be so harried and frenzied anyway, and so I don't want to give you one more thing to do. Instead, I want to invite you into a couple of practices that have been helping me show up. On those days when the forecast looks dark, when you are painfully aware of the storm raging outside, I want to invite you to take a few minutes of quiet and make a list of all the people you know who are doing the work of building up a new world. Try to list people by name as well as organizations and groups of people. Think about people in your immediate community, but also people you know about from other parts of the country and world. You can make this list in your mind, but I find it helpful to make it on paper so that I can return to it and add people as they occur to me. I have this list on big chart paper on the wall in my room, and I use it for prayer at least a couple times a week. 
I also use it as a reminder to keep in touch with these people, even if it's just by social media. The list is an arc for me in a way. It's a reminder that none of us builds alone. This list can also help you as you think about where to donate for Giving Tuesday next week. The second practice is around strengthening our capacity to hold boundaries and really show up for impacted people. I think part of what it means to keep awake in this time is to recognize our own frailty and tendency to act out of our programming, out of loyalty to whatever we believe it is that keeps us safe. For example, if I'm doing security at the mom's house and the police show up at the door, and they talk with me through the screen nicely and assure me that they just want to come in for a moment. Am I going to let them in? Do I really know what time it is? Do I understand the risk to my comrades that is posed by my desire to be nice and pleasant and appeasing to those in power? Spend some time this week thinking and praying about how your safety really is bound up with the liberation of people in the margins and under the gun. To what degree is that really true for you? What would it take to make your life more interdependent with theirs so that you can truly understand what time it is? Thank you for joining me in these practices. I'd love to hear how they go for you and what sense you are making of this Advent scripture for your own life and movement work. You can share your experiences and feedback by commenting on our SoundCloud. Search for The Word is Resistance. You can also comment on our Facebook page, which you can find by searching for Surge Faith, S-U-R-J, Faith. You can find out more about showing up for racial justice by going to showingupforracialjustice.org. Transcripts of this podcast are available on that website and those include references, credits, and copyright information. The music you hear on this podcast is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding. We are building up a new world. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, and it's being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for our podcast. Our sound editor this week is Maxwell Pearl. Thanks so much, Max. As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Until next time. I'm Nicola Torbett.